Amen. Don't you love that story? Huh? Don't you want a story of your own? You know, this is, uh, this is a day that um, I worked all week on a, on, on a message that I was going to speak from First Chronicles, and as of uh, Saturday morning, it just was not right. And I, I don't know if you know how frustrating that is. That's like preparing all week and then going, God going, I don't think so. And uh, so it was Saturday morning that I really, really just felt like this is what God wanted me to speak, and it's called Miracle Workers. And it ties in so well with what we just heard from Gracie. But, but I just got to tell you, this is so cool. You know, we've, we began this church almost four years ago. And we've seen God do some things that can only be explained by God. And that's the only kind of stuff we really want to see is God's stuff. Amen? Amen. And I got to tell you, it was just, it was so good. It was like God's timing for this Sunday for someone to be here, the first miracle that we saw, first miracle healing we saw in our church, we were only two months old, and a young lady came to me, and a, a mom, and wife, she came, and she said, I have a brain tumor, the circumference of a grapefruit, and I'm going to have surgery after Easter. Would you pray for me? We gathered around her. We prayed for her, and then it wasn't too long after that uh, that she went into the doctor to have the the scan and so forth, and the doctor said, Sky, do you believe in miracles? And she said, yes, I do. He said, well, you are one because the tumor's gone, and Sky's right here. Would you stand up, Sky? <laughs> you know, influence, uh, I love unique things. I love just stuff that nobody else has. Don't you like those kind of things? And it's kind of like the, the ultimate show and tell in life. You know, you kind of go, look what I've got. And then to go, oh, that's really cool. Where'd you get it? Well, you know, there's only one of a kind kind of a thing. I love unique things. I think there's something unique about Influence Church. I think the uniqueness is that there's a unique presence of God that allows miracles to flow freely. I don't know any other way to describe it. I don't know any other way to kind of uh, to understand what God is doing. But I, I, want you to, I want you to think a couple of, of, of just thoughts with me as we get ready to jump into this message. Here's the first one. Why don't you think about this, that God inhabits your future. See, we would think about the future, we worry about the future, we project what the future will be like. God inhabits your future. We can put our arms around the idea that God was there in the beginning to some degree. We can put our arms around the fact that God is here today and that God is there out in the future, but to think that God is simultaneously in past, present, and future is something that boggles the mind. See, God always lives in the eternal now, in the present. There is no past eternity. People speak of the eternal past. It doesn't exist. Eternity is always present tense. Time is a creature word. God created time so that you could understand how to navigate within the natural world in past and present and future. But all things that God does is in the now. That's why Revelation says that Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before God created time, God had the plan of God, his son crucified for your sins. It's a principle of Scripture that God always has a provision before you have a problem. You think the problem is down the road, and you go, oh, no, what am I going to do with this problem? God says, I had a provision before you had a problem, and if you learn how to access the kingdom, you'll understand how to solve the problem. 
Also, the quarters of the kingdom are lined with those who have learned to linger long in his presence. The quarters of the kingdom are lined with those who've learned to linger long in his presence. See, this should never be about me. It should never be about music or a message. We should not gather around this. We should gather around the presence. That was a picture that God gave in the Old Testament when he put Adam and Eve in the garden and he was present there in the garden. It was the message that God had when he took Moses up on a mountain and he said, I am present here, and he wanted him in the presence so he could understand it. The tabernacle, present. They put the tabernacle in the middle and everybody gathered around the presence. When the disciples wondered about who Jesus was and they wanted to know more about the Father, he said, if I've been with you so long, with you in the presence, with you so long that you don't know me because he who has seen me has seen the Father. You've been in the presence. He is a very present help in time of trouble, the psalmist tells us. Though the mountains quake, though they slip into the midst of the sea, there is a city whose maker and builder is God, and God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. Be still and know that I am God in the present. He is our presence. Miracles are normal in the kingdom. When I read the book of Revelation and I see all the amazing things that are happening, I see seraphim and sheriffim and all these things flying around and stuff happening, I always notice that nobody in heaven is shocked. You don't see an angel going, look at that. That's amazing. How did the seraphim fly with two wings, cover their eyes, cover their feet? How did they pull that one off? Everybody's amazed at the Father, at the presence of God. That's what overwhelms them. It's the presence. I mean, we got down here, and we've got, we've got this phrase, oh, my God. You know, we just think, oh, my God, what am I going to do? You know, we think, God, what, you know, we, are, have we shot God? God's up there. What does he say? O-M-M. Oh, my me. Miracles are normal in the kingdom. Miracles stand on the doorstep of time waiting an invitation. You see, miracles are of another realm, and we stand, on, we stand here in time, and miracles stand on the doorstep, and they're saying, I'd like to come into your realm. Would you invite me in? When you invite miracles in, that is, you invite God into your situation, God shows up in that realm, in the kingdom realm. Because you, you and I are accustomed to living in the natural realm, and all of our natural realm thinking kind of goes along with it, and we try to make it a little Christian. So here's how natural realm thinking goes. Somebody gets a problem, they get sick, whatever it is, they get sick, and what do they say? Well, we're going to do everything we can, we're going to get the best doctors. I don't know how many times I've heard they're the best doctor. There can't be that many best doctors in the world. I'm going to get the best doctor, we're going to pray, we're going to hope for the best, we're going to take care of you, we're going to fight. That's all natural realm thinking. There's nothing wrong with that, but if you, if you trust in that, you've missed the big piece of the picture. It's bigger than that. Do all that you can, but understand that that's not where your confidence lies. It has to lie in God. I was reading uh, Heidi Baker's book uh, this week, and as I was reading it, I, I just, in case you don't know who she is, her and her husband Roland went to Mozambique a number of years ago. She works with some of the poorest of the poor. It's probably one of the worst countries in the world. I'm sorry. It's got more landmines, undetonated landmines than any other country in the world. It's got the worst weather. It's got poverty. It's got, it's got a horrible government. It's just everything about it is just bad. 
She went there. When they arrived, they had nothing. They didn't know what they were going to do, but they had one mission. Their mission was they were going to learn from the poor. They were going to learn how to love from the poor. See, a lot of people like to talk about the poor, but no, nobody really wants to talk to the poor. We knew that we had to learn from the poor if we were ever going to understand the ministry of Jesus. You know, that Jesus said, the poor you'll always have with you. You know, I think that's by God's design. We cannot solve poverty. God does not want us to solve poverty because we need poor people in our life. If we don't, we, they have to recalibrate us. See, Jesus already told us we're not going to solve the problem, and we try to solve it. That's fine. Try to solve it, but understand that there's a purpose for them that's greater than sometimes your purpose, and that purpose is to recalibrate life so that we don't become so proud and so arrogant in what we have achieved that we miss out on the reality because blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the earth. It doesn't say blessed are the real estate barons. They shall inherit the earth. Hey, nothing wrong with being a real estate baron. Just honor God with what you get. That's all. Heidi Baker wrote this. If God doesn't show up, no one else will either. If God does not heal, we are dead. If God does not deliver, then demons will torment the people to death. If we rely, on, we rely on God, in Jesus we have all that we need. He died that there should be more than enough. We watch God multiply food to feed the masses, just as Jesus took a few fish and loaves of bread to feed the hungry. When I hear, when I read this story about Jesus multiplying bread and fish, there's a piece of me that says, ah, did that really happen? Have you ever had those moments in the Bible? It's just like so out there. It's just so big. You think, well, you know, I, I kind of get some things, but how did you take five loaves and feed 5,000 people? And then I read some accounts that happened there in Pembra in, in Mozambique, and, and I wondered about that. And then I, I met someone who was a skeptic and didn't believe in some of the miracles but wanted to go to Mozambique to see what was going on there in Pembra went there and just happened to be at a situation where there were thousands of kids unexpectedly showed up and they didn't have enough food, and they were all hungry. Thousands upon thousands of orphan kids just showed up. He said, with my own eyes, I witnessed. I don't know how it happened. I didn't see it multiply, but it just, the bread, it just, all the food just kept coming. It just, it was just multiplied over and over again. And I thought, you know, if a skeptic going into it can see it, experience it, the Bible speaks of it, I got to embrace it. So I want to take you on that journey. See, miracles shape the way that you think. When you begin to experience a miracle, the first thing that happens is your thinking changes because you have to recalibrate. You kind of get in a loop. The loop is that miracles don't happen and when they do. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. It's like spiritual rubbernecking on the highway. Right? Oh my gosh, are you kidding? It happened. But we don't let the miracle have its full effect because what the miracle does is it wows us, but it doesn't transform us into be miracle workers. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to turn us into ambassadors and miracle workers. He came to say, I want you to do what I did. That's what I want you to do. So they shape the way we think. So I have to think differently when I see a miracle and I go, okay, God, how do I think kingdom-wise? 
Let me take you to the Scripture and show you this. And I love the disciples because they're so honest. Now, they've got 5,000 people there, and uh, Jesus has been ministering to them. Everybody's tired. Everybody's hungry. Ever been there? It's like, you know, you just don't even want to see people anymore. We have those moments in our life, don't we, where you just go, I'm sick of people. Anybody would confess to that or not? Okay, a few of you are honest. Thank you very much. All right, we have those moments where God just need, I just need a break. I don't need to talk or whatever. And so I picked up the story in verse 36 of Mark chapter 6 so you could see it. Here's what they say to Jesus. Send them away. Can't you almost hear it under the, just kind of what's happening underneath the surface there? We're done, Jesus. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages, buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. They're not our problem. I love it. I so identify with verse 36. But then verse 37, here's what Jesus says. But he answered and he said unto them, you give them something to eat. If they're hungry, why don't you feed them? Now, they missed the point altogether because they thought the point was they had to reach in their pocket, find some money. They had to go home, take, you know, get all the expired cans of food and bring them to the poor. That's generally what people do, right? Can drive. They say, hey, what do I don't eat? Yeah, they'll like those. I mean, how many beets can homeless people eat? You know what I'm talking about? Kind of like when somebody calls up and they say, hey, we'd like to donate an old TV. And I said, no, thank you. Just keep it. I already know what it is. It's a Sony Trinitron, right? And it weighs 9,000 pounds, and you don't know what to do with it. And it's an environmental hazard, so you want to bring it to the church. No, thank you very much, all right? You can keep the Trinitron. All right. So give them something to eat. And they said, shall we go and buy 200 denarius worth of food and give them something to eat? Sounds good, right? It's kind of the, the way the church operates. You know, hey, don't we have a fund for hungry people who've been listening to Jesus. Let's go into fun and let's get it. But he said unto them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found that they found out they had five uh, loaves and two fish. Somehow Jesus thought that was enough. I love that. It's just, that's enough. When Mother Teresa first went to India, she asked uh, the superiors, that she said, um, I need money to, to build an orphanage in India for the poorest of the poor. And said, well, Mother Teresa, it's going to cost a lot of money. Do you have any money? I have two pennies. And they laughed at her. They said, with two pennies, you can't do anything. She said, with two pennies in God, I can do anything. It's all perspective. You see, the natural realm, here's what we ask. We ask, what do I lack? That's what I ask. What, do I, what am I missing in my life? What do I need? What do I want? If I could just make a little bit more money, if I could just suck a little bit more away in retirement, if, I, if, 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 we always think about lack. And what happens is um, we, we get impressed with the problem. Never be impressed with a big problem. Be impressed with a big God. Big problems all that come. Suppose we had a problem fest. We announce on Friday, everybody come, isolate out your top five problems, bring them here, we're going to give open mic, and everybody's going to get to talk about the biggest problems they have. And I guarantee you, somebody will show up and say, Pastor, I tried to narrow it down to five, but I got seven. Is that okay? Because we all can do that, right? In fact, if we ask somebody to find something wrong with something, we could, we could find stuff wrong with it all day long. But God wants us to move into the realm of the supernatural and say, no, let's look at how big God is. What can God do in that situation? So in the supernatural realm, we say, we don't ask a question. We make a statement, what do I have? You got two pennies? That's enough. You got five loaves and two fishes? That's enough. 
There was a man that was crippled. He came along, Peter came along, and he said, you know, hey, he's crying out for silver, and he says, silver and gold, I have none, but what I do have in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. I got a feeling that that guy didn't know he could ask for new legs. He thought pennies would be enough. You see, people are always asking for pennies when they could get new legs. People are always asking for little things when they could get big things from God. See, what we have to understand is miracles begin with seeing the invisible. I have to see it in that, in that spiritual realm before I can realize it in the physical realm. Most people, they want faith like this. Well, when, the, when it comes, and I'll rejoice because, wow, it's evident that God gave me this. No, 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 you got got it backwards. i got to see it before it happens for it to happen. Jesus said the kingdom of God is in you. The problem is he's, it stays there. It's got to get out of you. The kingdom's got to get out of you. It's got to get out there in the world. It's got to get out to be seen. You've got to release the kingdom to people. I've got to admit to you that when I pray for people, and, and especially, you know, somebody's like, you know, like if it's a minor prayer for, you know, like a minor illness, I'm feeling pretty confident. Uh, don't you? Guy goes, hey, I've got a cold. Would you pray for me? I'm praying, God, help him. It's cold. I know it'll go away in 14 days anyway, but I'm just praying anyway. Then when somebody comes to me and says, you know, the doctor's given me no hope, there's a natural part of me that just goes, Pastor Nate, would you come pray for this guy? (laughs) The natural man. But in the spiritual realm, I said, wait a minute. You didn't tell me to pray for the sick. You told me to heal the sick. That's radically different, isn't it? It's radically different. Now it's a proclamation of what God will do, not a request that you hope he will do. So uh, we've kind of connected with someone, and I've referred to him before. He's a Jewish guy, and um, he's got a great story. And I was just told we've been praying for him for his healing because he has cancer. And and, uh, we went out to dinner. I think I told you the story. My wife and I went to dinner with he and his wife, and we didn't pray before we ate and he looked at me and said, aren't you going to pray? And, you know, we're tr- we've kind of explained we're trying to be sensitive. We didn't want to be pushy into it, even though we prayed. He said, will you pray for me, at, you know, down at the office whenever I see you? Would you pray? So we prayed. We've been praying for his healing. And uh, he went to the doctor. And uh, I just got the report this morning for, through one of his friends. He said, uh, he said, John went to the doctor, and the doctor said, John, I don't know what happened, but you have a clean, clean bill of health. Now, you know, some people believe in coincidences. But I've noticed that all my coincidences are tied to my faith. So if you want to call it a coincidence, I don't care. As long as God's getting the glory, I don't really care who's doing it. Amen? God's doing it. Praise God. Give him the glory. Okay, so in the supernatural realm, it's what I have. Miracles begin with seeing. But now let me show you this. Live heaven to earth versus earth to heaven. Live from heaven to earth. Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it's already done in heaven. What we want to do is we want to bring heaven down to earth versus crying out in all of our problems from earth and saying, what am I going to do? No, we want to make a proclamation. No, everything we need is in heaven. Now let's get heaven down to earth. 
We live under this open heaven that God wants to work in. Let me show you the, more of the story here. Mark chapter 6, verses 39 and 40 through 44. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when they had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them thanks and gave them to his disciples to set before them the two fish he divided among them all. I love this story because he says, God, thank you for the fish and thank you for the bread. And said, okay, guys, start distributing. The miracle did not happen at the hand of Jesus. It happened at the hand of the disciples. He had them back five loaves and two fish. The miracle happened in the distribution. What's in your hand? The miracle's in your hand. So you are a miracle worker. Don't know it because you are a child of the living God. You are the temple of the living God. The Bible says you're a royal diadem. Everywhere you turn, there's another facet, a dimension of, the, of, of what God has done in you by his, by his work of grace. Think about that. Now notice what happens. Verse 42, so they all ate and were filled. So now you've got 5,000 people filled, five loaves, two fish, and they took up 12 baths, baskets full of fragments of all the fish. You know why I think there's 12 there? I think every disciple had to face a basket full of leftovers as a reminder of the abundance of God. Even Judas got one. Doubting Thomas got one. Now I want you to see what I can do. I can do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ever ask or think. Here's your basket. Now those who had eaten were, the loaves were about 5,000 men. I want you to see the miracle of an exchange. You see, when Jesus handed it to them, the exchange happened. There was a miracle that happened there. Then the miracle happened when they began to exchange what they had. It began to multiply. Let me ask you this question. Think about it like this. If you have a $20 bill and I ask you what it's worth, you say it's worth $20. And you would be absolutely right. If you hold on to that $20, it's worth $20. But if you release that $20, how much is it worth? In other words, if you invest it in the kingdom, how much is it worth? The Bible says some 40, some 60, some 80, some 100 fold. It's only when I release things that they begin to multiply. When I hold on to things, what happens is everything dries up. When I pastored my first church, uh, a guy in our church named Ansel Carruth, he was a, just a great guy, he came up to me and he says, Preacher, he always called me Preacher. I don't even know if he knew my first name. Preacher. He said, how many people in this church tithe? Now, for those of you who don't know, a tithe is one-tenth of your income. That's what a tithe means. It literally means a tenth. It's actually where the word dime comes from. We take the word dime out of the word tithe. It, it's the etymological study of it. That's how it full unfolds. That's where we get a dime, tenth, okay? So he said, how many people do you think in this church tithe? And I said, oh, I don't know, not very many. He said, no, they all do. And I said, Ansel, you know, put my arm around him. Ansel, no, they really don't. He said, no, preacher, put his arm around me. They really do. He said, some of them bring it to God, and others, God goes and gets it. I remember my, the, when we were first married, we had, uh, had our first baby, and then shortly after we had a second baby, and we had a car, and I had about 70,000 miles on it, and another guy who worked at the lumber mill, he came over, and he says, he says, uh, Preacher, I, the more I think about it, I don't think anybody knew my name there. But he came over and he said, Preacher, he said, uh, how are the brakes on that car? He said, you know, we got little kids, you got to be careful. And I said, I don't know. He said, well, how many miles? i got about 70,000. Oh, you're probably running on the rotors. All right, well, what do we do? 
Well, I'm going I'm to jack it up and look at it. Jacked it up. He t- pulls it all apart. He looks at it, and he said, how many miles on this car? He said 70,000. It was a new car. Just drove it 70,000 miles worth, right? Never put brakes on it. He goes, you don't even need brakes now. I don't know about you, I kind of thought it was a miracle. You ever wondered why, if you don't honor God with your tithe, why you never have enough money? I mean, why don't you just be honest? You see, there's a spiritual kingdom that operates by certain standards, and if you violate the standards, you will find yourself running against God. Every miracle is entering new territory. Think about this. When you, when you experience a miracle, you're part of a miracle, you see a miracle, it's like crossing a field. You have to cross that field to get to the next field. Because what happens is every time you cross a field, your faith grows. You go, well, if God could do that, God can do this. Because, see, miracles are our tutor. They teach us something about life. They teach us something about the spiritual realm. So when I see God work here, I go, if God could do that, then he can do this. And then if I get here, I say, well, if God could do that, why couldn't God do this? And if God can do this, surely God can do this. And if God can do this, why? It's amazing what God can do. And so we begin to see this understanding that that miracles teach us about it. You see, you think about it like this. You are the instrument of the miracle. God wants you to be the miracle worker in your world. God wants you to talk to people and tell them about Christ. God wants you to pray with people. God wants you to be involved. Yesterday afternoon, I, I went to memorial service in the morning, and then uh, I swang, uh, came by the church, and, and, when, and I never come by the church on Saturday, but I came by for some reason. I had to pick up something. I came in the front door there, and as I walked in, I thought I heard something, somebody knocking on the door, and I thought, I wonder what that is. And I looked out, and I saw somebody out there, and I thought, well, I'm just going to be a second. I'll run out, and I'll talk to him. I run outside. I walk outside, and uh, at first I didn't think I knew who it was, but then instantly I knew who it was. And she was in tears. And I said, what is going on? She could hardly talk. And she said, I was listening to one of your podcasts. And I fell under such conviction of the Holy Spirit because I've been away from God. And I drove over to church hoping somebody would be here. And I said, do you realize what a miracle it is? I never come to church on Saturday. The chances for you showing up at exactly the same time I showed up, that's a miracle. God is speaking to you. God is drawing you. See, that, see we, we, we understand this. There's supernatural drawings that God does. And sometimes you go, I don't even know how I ended up here. I don't even know what God is doing. It's like a magnet. You know, you go, I, I'm just pulled in. What God, what are you doing? And there's something irresistible that God is doing. Every miracle begins with a risk. I tell you what, sometimes I just have to verbalize it because if I don't, I'm going to chicken out. I do. I just have to say, God is going to do this. Aren't you afraid? What if, what if he doesn't? That's not an option. That's not an option. If God has clearly shown me something,